Welcome to America This Week. I am Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Yeah, see, I, I, like, I like how you, you, you lower the register. You, you play the more sincere, believable half of this duo. Um, while I have my sort of faux broadcasting showmanship voice, uh, which is, I've never had a good one anyway, but now you make it sound even worse when you, when you do that uh, sort of Paul Harvey routine, I guess, is what you, what you have there. He- yeah, it's Paul Harvey. I, I, I used to listen to him every day at lunchtime on the farm back in Minnesota when I was a teenager. He came across the Chevy AM radio like the voice of God himself from Chicago. And, uh, you know, he's been portrayed, I suppose, as a conservative, but and he was. But to me, he was just, you know, the voice of sophistication and wisdom from big city of Chicago, the unimaginable Oz. And so um, any chance I have to uh, ape him as an adult, I'm going to take. Right, right, right. Well, that's good. So you you have that august uh, believability. We're going we're gonna to need some of that today because we're going to dig into a subject that uh, um, that is uh, – well, actually, it's a little bit self-referential, right? Because this is a, part of this is about it's about podcasts and how they're not believable, and uh, particularly, I guess, our kind of podcast in, in their eyes. So, um, so there was an extraordinary look. There have been a series of episodes lately, including the um, the hearings that on, on Twitter this week that showcased kind of a new counteroffensive among the hashtag resistance wing of the media world and politics uh, after taking a little bit of a beating for a couple of months, they're coming back hard and sort of announcing the uh, waving the, the flag for censorship and increased moderation and the need for it. And the the sort of intellectual uh, map for what they want to do was laid out in this incredible Brookings Institution piece that you found. (laughs) It's called Audible Reckoning, How Top Political Podcasters Spread Unsubstantiated and False Claims uh, by Valerie Wurtschafter. And it starts off, I guess there's only thing, the only thing you can do is to read the lead. Um, it starts off with this well, lead. Then let's Feb- read the lead. Yeah. In February 2021, Texas Senator Ted Cruz and his co-host Michael Knowles, a Daily Wire commentator, recorded a live episode of The Verdict with Ted Cruz podcast in conversation about his former Senate race opponent, Beto O'Rourke, the Texas Republican described his rival support base as primarily reporters who act like, quote, groupies at a Rolling Stones concert throwing their underwear. Offhandedly, he added, if they wore underwear, yes. With a smirk, he leaned into the microphone and asked, asked Knowles, too edgy? Knowles replied, it's a podcast. You can say whatever you want. Since the advent of the medium, so you're thinking at this point, well, that's all right. You know, that's interesting. It's a truthful lead. It's a little bit provocative. Then it says, since the advent of the medium, podcasts have generally offered a space where, in the words of Knowles, you can say whatever you want. Once written off as a dying medium, podcasting has undergone rapid growth and monetization, 
while largely avoiding content moderation and regulatory debates. This, that's the first hint of something ominous. They're, they're saying that podcasts have somehow uh, avoided moderation and regulatory debates. Today, nearly 41% of Americans listen to podcasts monthly, and almost one in four Americans look to podcasts for news. Globally, the medium is projected to reach an audience of 504 0.9 million by 2024, while ad revenue in the United States is expected to double between 2022 and 2024, jumping from 2 billion to 4 billion. Uh, and then it says, due in large part to the say whatever you want perceptions of the medium, podcasting offers a critical avenue through which unsubstantiated and false claims proliferate. Uh, as the terms are used in this report, the terms false claims Misleading claims, unsubstantiated claims, or any combination thereof are evaluations by the research team of the underlying statements and assertions grounded in the methodology laid out below in the research design section and appendices. Such claims, evidence suggests, have played a vital role in shaping public opinion and political behavior. So, so this becomes an argument for why there needs to be some kind of uh, regulatory crackdown on podcasts and you found a passage that if you want to go below, do you want to read the part where it offers the, the solution? Because that's even creepy. Yes. Well, well, let's uh, stipulate that Brookings checked the vast uh, volume of podcast facts by using what they call machine learning, and natural language processing. And I, I, I won't read the whole paragraph, but I think that's enough. In other words, the AI now is, has been uh, sicked on the podcasting world and will now be the arbiter of uh, truth, uh, also aided by Snopes and PolitiFact, the two independent fact-checking institutes upon which they relied in this Brookings Institute uh, story. So if anything could be creepier, I can't imagine it. And, I, and, you know, part of my job as a novelist to imagine is to imagine things that are creepier than real life. But <laughs> here we, you know, here we have something called natural language processing, whatever that is, and, uh, and machine learning, uh, scouring the, uh, you know, ad hoc, ad lib comments of people like you and I, Matt, or mm -hmm. the jokes of Ted Cruz, because that was a joke. I mean, you, you say that that was a just first paragraph, but I found it awesomely uh, and terrifyingly uh, inaccurate in the sense that none of that that he said about people throwing their underwear at uh, Beta O'Rourke was, was even posed as a fact. You know, that was pure comedy. Not only um, that, it was satirically correct, but yeah. It, it was satirically correct. It was pure comedy. Are they going to sick the AI on Saturday Night Live? I mean, not that Saturday Night Live any longer says anything that's, you know, that edgy. But um, so Ted Cruz making a joke about Rolling Stones fans or Beatlemania kind of adoration for, for Beta O'Rourke becomes their lead example of misinformation secondly 
their assertion that the problem with podcasts is you can say anything is one of is as chilling as could be. That's why people listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Podcasts are, in a sense, just a recording of real life conversations in which we are constitutionally guaranteed the ability to say anything, except for you know the exceptions that people always bring out about yelling fire in a theater and so on. So saying anything is now suspect. Jokes are now examples of misinformation. And machine learning and natural language processing um, censorship will now be unleashed as a kind of at-scale version of what they call moderation now, but we used to call censorship. So in the first few paragraphs of this piece, we have laid out a model for the uh, containment the mechanized automated containment of opinion and 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 humor and also the, the factual assertion that brookings wants us to swallow before it then goes on into its endless piece about how the, the statistics show that 20% of what steve bannon says is false and X percent of what so-and-so says is false, as though this is all now going to be a mathematical, not a constitutional problem. Um, Because, uh, you know, once we yield to the machines and once we start to think about our speech in terms of percentages of falsity, um, we have, in a sense, opened ourselves to total brave new world. Yeah, and and so that they they go down in in this piece, as you say. First, they try to quantify the problem by creating a bunch of graphs showing how many false statements have been made, and they do this through this very strange manner that has to be at least somewhat subjective, because they're they're cross referencing with dictionaries and Snopes and some other things, but it's it's automated. They talk about the challenge of dealing in real time with podcasts because uh, transcripts are are not 100% accurate, so machines have a tough time uh, following it quickly. So then, then they come up with this formula that they call, um, I, I, I guess the way they describe it is cosine similarity. So they say... The first strategy used to identify when specific claims fact-checked as false appeared in podcast transcripts was a text similarity measure called the cosine similarity. The cosine similarity is a measurement technique that calculates the relationship between two documents or text snippets by encoding each document as a vector, with each word of the document representing a coordinate in the vector. The cosine similarity is then calculated using the cosine of the angle between the two vectors. The resulting output is a score from 0 to 1, with a higher number representing texts that are more similar. I calculated the cosine similarity between every fact-checked claim and all the podcast transcripts. A team of coders then manually reviewed the matches that scored above 0.5. This threshold meant that part of the the transcript and the fact-checked claim or at least somewhat related. In addition to calculating the cosine similarity, uh, the analysis also involves searching episode transcripts for a list of keywords 
associated with different claims that tied to either electoral fraud or the coronavirus pandemic. This included both generic terms such as stolen election and phony pandemic, as well as references to specific conspiracy theories or misleading claims. Um, so if the, then they said any episode flagged as a match with either the dictionary or cosine similarity approach, um, at least two coders independently reviewed the transcript text and associated fact check, cl- fact check claim or dictionary term match. If the initial two coders agreed in their evaluation that the post appeared to, to contain unsubstantiated or false claims, it was evaluated as such. When the two coders disagreed, a third coder reviewed the transcript and associated claim. It's minority report. In total, um, just 3% of all reviewed claims required a third coder. So what they're saying is they've come up with an automated method for detecting uh, sort of factual inaccuracies by entering a series of search terms that they can then associate with the transcripts, automated transcripts of podcasts. Um, and that will spit out uh, a series of results that coders that, that can, then, can then look at in some cases, but they're implying that it's only necessary in 3% of cases. So this is like, a, again, <laughs> so, it's, they, it's they awarded themselves a machine. Dude, dude, they awarded mm-hmm. themselves a very high accuracy rate for this complete bullshit sciencey 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 uh technique which they rendered in english prose so opaque and so confusing that no one who reads it will ever want to read it again and will just simply assume that they've got some great engineering process behind their uh censorship machine what you're also seeing here it sounds like a kubrickian villain talking about you know uh guaranteed mutual destruction or something in nuclear theory it's a, it's a you're seeing the birth of a new defense industry of a new weapons system you're seeing the very um distillation of censorship into a uh sciency high-tech uh expensive um government contractable product which right. is going to which is going to eat up all kinds of money and all kinds of you know uh tech energy but you know baffle them with bullshit is what they is what they say in the midwest and i have rarely seen an example of it this thorough um cosines what the fuck they're turning language into geometry now Okay, they're right. turning language into you know into algebra and calculus now, and trigonometry and all the things that people didn't understand in school but are still very impressed by, and which give them an inferiority complex when they hear about it. Thus, they will yield completely to whatever the hell they're talking about as a uh, measurement of accuracy. All they're saying, really, when it comes down to it, you did a ample job of translating it somewhat into English because it's so freaking belabored. But what they're saying is we compare what somebody says to something we've decided is false. Right. And if it resembles, and if it resembles that we lag, we zap it. Yeah. They never talk about, they never talk about how their sample set of false, uh, allegedly false things is arrived at. Right. All they talked about was a procedural, uh, 
you know, uh, extremely complicated uh, information engineering technique by which they compare two things, but they never decided, they never said who decides what's false. Where is that database kept? How do we arrive at that? Do they use cosines for that too? I mean, is it cosines all the way down? It's, it's amazing. This is so un-American, first of all, like as, as an American, it's inhuman, inhuman, (laughs) but, but, it's also, I think, very specifically on un- like this. The United States was founded on the idea, like our first ideas, right? Are number one, freedom of speech, right? Then, then, and then two, freedom of religion. Three, freedom of the press. The whole concept is we can't have um, a a governmental body uh, be becoming the arbiter of truth. The this is something that society will deal with, will, will, will work out for itself through conversation and debate. And they never address the, the big elephant in the room, which is the, and, and, and the thing that's been the reasoning behind every judicial decision about this kind of stuff leading all the way up to Brandenburg v. Ohio, um, which is that, you know, without absolute, without freedom of speech, you will always be re- reliant upon some kind of body to, de- to determine what's true and what's false, and then there will be no defense against when those people do- decide to lie. And official lies are out at least as destructive as as the lies of people in the population or or broadcasters, and I, I would argue in many cases more destructive. I mean, look at look at the WMD episode, for instance. Uh, what would be the defense um, against that kind of thing if we had this kind of pervasive algorithmic system for suppressing any kind of dissent, you know? Um, the The whole system is founded upon the idea that you have to let people say what they, whatever they want. Uh, in addition to that being a, a, a basic human right that, that, is a pillar of the enlightenment ideas upon which the, the the country was allegedly founded. I just, it's crazy to me that these people think like this, but I guess it's not surprising anymore. One of the other things that those founding um, thinkers were trying to do in the United States and across the world in France as well, uh, was uh, push back against the orthodoxies and chilling effects of state religion. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that was chiefly what they were trying to free themselves from. This was an age which had seen the efflorescence of science and wished to preserve the, the spirit of open inquiry and anti-authoritarianism, which is what science is. You know, um, uh, uh, science uh, was defined by someone as the systematic application of the idea that the experts are wrong or may be wrong. And, and, and science is in that sense, always challenging uh, the previous paradigms, the previous theories, the previous belief system. And, and those were in the time of the founding in the United States, often religious uh, belief systems or beliefs in the sort of perfect, uh, the perfection of a king's or a monarchy's pronouncements just because they came 
from the highest authority. from the monarchy. So right. yeah. Mm-hmm. So 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 what we're really seeing here to me is a a devious and ingenious attempt to reestablish a state religion and a set of orthodoxies from which we cannot stray. Um, they are using science, the rubric of science, because it has nothing to do with actual uh, experimental methods or you know open inquiry uh, upon which actual experimental science is based to to create this you know new um, sort of cosine filled algorithmically uh, prestigious state religious process by which certain texts will be ruled heretical. And we will be able to see any resemblance to a heretical text in a whole series of secondary and tertiary texts. We've done it with computers. We've used natural language processing. Whenever, as Orwell was so smart and and, and prophetic about, whenever you see language like this, uh, this many multisyllabic terms, this use of, you know, uh, sort of ballooning uh, Latinate uh, eloquence, you can tell you're being lied to. Mm-hmm. And what they're lying to us about here in specific terms is the fact that it's dangerous to say anything. Um, when in fact, how else would we ever discover what we really think, what we believe? How else would we ever, you know, there's a theory uh, in in uh, in medicine that kids who are exposed early on, whose immune systems are exposed early on to a variety of pathogens, kids who grow up on farms where and go out into dirty barns and so on, have a much stronger immune system later in life, much stronger, by virtue of having been, uh, you know, been exposed to all these bugs and germs. Well, should it not follow in a way that our intellectual immune systems are strengthened by a 20% rate of falsity in the, you know, in the air. I mean, if they are trying to, if they are proposing that it's possible to end inaccuracy and end deception on earth using these new methods, uh, are they not leaving us naked and uh, 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 sort of fetal in our inability to fight off or to uh, arbitrate arguments and disagreements and so on. Is the machine going to do everything for us? Are we just going to wake up every day and look at the cosines uh, or they won't actually show those. They'll just tell them that it'll be in a box somewhere. Yeah. 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 Here every day you will look up and you will see the approved statements that you are then free to repeat, but repeat them. Without variation, please, because you, you know, you might get, you might get accidentally another... caught up in the in the in the cosine web or whatever, right? Yeah. So, so that's the intellectual uh, argument against this stuff. But the the sort of common sense, real time, real life argument is this: Rush Limbaugh is dead. Talk radio and these other uh, forms that developed in the eighties and nineties were big boon for the Republican Party, especially. It doesn't seem that talk radio was ever, was ever um, conquered by the left. And uh, it was a big problem. And people like Paul Harvey, even, you know, who, 
I don't know if he had had his cosines checked, would have come out completely uh, healthy. But in, in any case, they see this one area of discourse. They did everything they could with Twitter. And Twitter, you know, Twitter exists as a bunch of printed uh, texts in a server. But now they've got this problem that the, the, the beast of expression has escaped the fucking zoo in, ter- in, in the uh, form of podcasting, which is so much harder to police. Right. Because it's, they don't off, the machines can't even tell what people are saying half the time. They, they certainly can't tell what's irony and what's humorous and what's serious and what mixture of, you know, uh, uh, sort of straight uh, fact and uh, speculation and, and uh, you know, mischievousness is being presented. And so now they've got to go at it. And this is the first shot in, I think, this war. Um, and, and as you've, you've exposed at the Twitter files, they, they have no compunctions about doing this straight from governmental centers. Brookings may pose as some kind of independent uh, think tank. The people who are, but what they do is they provide cover to actual government. That's their function. Uh, they make recommendations. They, they, they originate policy. That's what they do and how they see themselves. And so coming to a government near you is the uh, automated supervision of people who are allowed to say anything. Yeah. And, well, there's a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, you, you brought up a, a, a really good point about this idea that, well, they're, they're not really interested in whether or not they're making the, the child a, health, a healthier organism by um, exposing him or her to pathogens per, per, you know, early on, right? So that they become stronger thinkers. That's what they don't want. They are interested in something else. And, I just want to read from the um, etymolo- etymology dictionary. This is for propaganda. 1718, short for Congregatio de Propaganda Fide, or Congregation for Pro- Propagating the Faith, a committee of cardinals established in 1622 by Gregory the Fifteenth to su- supervise foreign missions. Um, the word is properly the ablative uh, feminine gerundive of latin propagare set forward extend spread increase so this is a word that comes propaganda which by the way these people do approve of and and um you know i've seen i've seen this discussed in a lot of government literature lately uh, in association with research for the twitter files um but they talk about how propaganda should at least be a content neutral idea like you know a word like rhetoric we shouldn't think of it as a negative um but when they i i think they're very serious about the concept of propagating the faith the news is not a matter of you know a discussion between uh, adults who may agree or disagree there is one true truth and we are about um strengthening it and eliminating all of its challengers and 
that's their idea of uh, of what the information space would look like. It's exactly the opposite of the real model that we've that we grew up under that and that this country was founded on. This idea of you know it all somehow we all come out to a place at the end, but we may we may not agree. Like we may have different beliefs. They don't think that way. They think there is a black and white difference between true, untrue, fact. Um, you know, but they but they also want to carve out for right, their exactly. propaganda. Exactly, D- dude. On the on the they want it exactly both ways. They want on the one hand to be able to, uh, you know, be the harbingers and the guarantors of factual truth, which they will establish using their equations. But the other, on the other hand, they do want to hold uh, a compartment open for good propaganda, which is the helpful di- directing and steering of society in the ways that it should be steered. So th- they want to cover the waterfront here. Yeah, and you know, over the over the last week, I was reading um, I was reading a book by Richard Stengel, who was the former head of the Global Engagement Center. So he. He was sort of the one of the first. What was the global engagement? So technically, Center? it's a it, it's a, technically a State Department entity, although it's not really. It's just housed at the State Department. It's an interagency group um, that came together. It's the 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 sort of most recent incarnation um, of a series of organizations that previously had names like the CSCC. Uh, it was originally designed um, as an agency that would combat foreign terrorism and address the problem of why groups like that. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week. To hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe at taibi.substack.com.